Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please send us an email and let us know at impact at jfc.org. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at jfc.org. Click on the Give link and help us bring messages just like this one to you every week. Today's message is from our series, The Book of Acts. We will be diving deep into Acts and looking at eyewitness accounts of the Holy Spirit and asking ourselves, can these same miracles happen in our church today? It's going to be an amazing series you won't want to miss. Good morning. Boy, good to see you here. Glad that you've joined us this weekend, no matter which campus you go to or how you connect to JFC. Thanks for being a part of it. We truly do welcome you. On your way into all the campuses, they hand you the notes. If you want to grab those and if you use a pen, a pencil to take notes, or you use your device, or if your memory is just so strong, you can remember every single thing that's said to you, uh, you do that. Uh, while you're doing that, let me, uh, this will be the last time that I talk about it. Um, it really is the last push for our marriage conference, and uh, we've advertised it now for several weeks. Uh, I know that uh, many of you have, uh, have signed up for it, but I want to I want to reach maybe those who are just maybe on the, on the border of it or just not seeing it like... Uh, do we really need it? I, I was trying to think, would I, would I talk about the teachers or would I talk about what they're going to teach on or, or results? All of those things are good. Th- this is what came to my memory. Chris and I were probably uh, married five or six years, somewhere in that, that time frame, maybe seven years, somewhere in there. And there was a couple where we were attending church. Uh, they, man, they had a marriage that was like one of those ones you looked at and you thought, that's, that's the way I want my marriage to look. And either, either here's what I thought. Either they're really good in public on what they do, or really it translates behind the scenes. And as we got to know them, and uh, we went to dinner with them a few times and just, you know, became friends, I realized this is real. These guys are, they, they really know how to do it right. And they invited us to a marriage conference. I, I mean, it was just kind of one of those things. And we didn't think to ourselves um, that we need this. The truth of the matter is we were, we've always been blessed. We've always just kind of gotten along with each other. We always, um, I always just give her her way and things work out really, really. No, that's not. <laughs> if you can see her face when I say these things, folks, you really, the show is down here in the front and you don't know it. Um, <laughs> it's the only time in our marriage she cannot respond back to me. <laughs> yes, I know I'm going to get it when I get home. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I never, I never thought we, you know, we don't get along or we have a bad marriage. Uh, but I was, I looked at the way they did their marriage and I saw things that we didn't know how to do. Maybe that was the best way to say it or things that we just wanted to, we wanted to learn how to do those things. And they invited us to a marriage conference. We attended it. Here was the outcome. It was at that marriage conference that the Lord really opened up for us uh, the calling on our lives to pursue ministry. We really, uh, it was unexpected. It was not the reason that we went. Here's my point. When you pursue the things that God has put into your hands, for instance, if you're married, that, that might be the most precious thing that God has given you on this earth to take care of. And when you invest in it and treat it like this is special and I'm doing this as unto the Lord, the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, Neither is it entered into the imagination of a person the things that God has prepared for them ahead of time. And so many times, man, we're, we're like, God, I want those. I, those are the things I'm pursuing. Let me tell you how you really do it. Pursue God, and you find yourself living those things that he has for you. And 
if God is giving you your marriage, you've got to do it together. There's a, there's a combination here that I just don't know any other way to say that. So I'm going to encourage you with this. If you're just like God, is there more? They're just, we're just at this, at this place where is there more? How about this? Pursue this. See what God does with it. How would you sign up? JFC.org. Uh, do it online. It's uh, $25. We, we, we're subsidizing it to keep the cost as low as we can. And I'll just say this. At any campus, any person that hears this, if you're just like, man, we don't have 25 bucks, but we want to go, tell us. We'll make sure that you have the chance to go. We will not let that stand in the way of you having the chance to, uh, to have your marriage minister too. So uh, enough about that. Let's go ahead and we'll jump into this. It's the last message that we're doing in the series on Acts. I hope that it's something you've learned from, appreciated. Uh, here are my stated goals with the book of Acts. I'll say it one more time. Uh, when you read Acts, there's two ways that you can read it. You can read it only as a historical book. It's okay to look back and see what God did in the first century and how God got the church started and all the miracles that took place and read the stories and just be blown away like, wow, God did some incredible things. And it's okay to read it like a historical book because it, de it definitely it's history. But it's also a prophecy. And this is why. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He stays the same. So if God did that with the first century church, he also wants to do that with believers today. Do you know that? So my heart in this while teaching it is, I'm hoping I whet your appetite where you are asking God, I want to see the supernatural in my life and I want to say this to you. Today, in, especially in Western church, here's what we concentrate on. We're really about discipleship. We're really about connection. We're really into those things. Those are right. Those are, those are helpful. They're necessary. They're in the Bible. But we miss the supernatural. You need the supernatural and discipleship together to make a difference in the world. We miss that today. And I'm hoping that you, because it's there and because God, it clearly is for us, that you are asking God about these things. I hope it whets your appetite for it. Uh, today, here's where we're going to go. Acts chapter 19. This is actually, in all of Acts, this is my favorite chapter. And in all the Bible, this is probably one of my top five favorite chapters. I love the story here. Uh, I find a lot of meaning here. It gives me a lot of hope when I look at society around us and I think, man, it's going in a direction that I, I, I don't think it should go. It's not the way that, that they're not going towards God, away from God. This was a society that was not following God and they had revival. The entire city of Ephesus turned to God. It's a very powerful powerful story. Before we jump into the text that we're going to use, though, um, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, begin this way. It's not in the notes, and I, I, I'm actually going to confess something to you and tell you that I need to make a change about something. Um, Acts, uh, Acts chapter 19 begins, Paul, uh, headed towards Ephesus, finds some disciples, so they're believers. And he asked them this question, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So obviously they believed, but he wants to know if they've had the experience with the Holy Spirit. And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So he said, well, then how were you baptized? He said, we were baptized into John's baptism, which is water baptism. And Paul said, well, there's also the baptism that Jesus promised, that of the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says that Paul laid hands on each of the disciples, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And these two things happened. They spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. It's clearly right there in the Bible. You can see it. As I read that, I felt like the Lord said to me, why don't you take a moment, lay hands on people, pray for them. Ask those who haven't had this experience if they want it, and pray for them. And here's my response back to God. God, we have multiple services, and I don't have time to do that. <laughs> now, look, don't, don't, don't laugh at me right now, because it's a dilemma. It's a real dilemma. And I felt like, I said, God, I, I just, how do I do this? We've already set this up a particular way. And we're not doing it to legislate out the Holy Spirit. It was to respond to things that we feel like the Holy Spirit's doing with people that he's brought to us. How do we, how do we minister all the people you've given us? 
I just felt like the Lord left it there for the whole week, just left it. Here's what the conclusion. I, I don't know how I'm going to change it, but I need to tell you I've got to change how we're doing it. I don't think every week you need to lay hands on people, but I think if God tells you to do it in a particular week, you need to be able to do it. You agree with that statement right there. I think it's an impartation. There's healing that probably comes through that, gifts that probably come through that, uh, ability for people to be ministered to in situations. And it's not enough for me just to stand up here and say it's in there. We, there's a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit that God wants you to experience in your life. So I need you to forgive me because as a leader, I've got to own this. I, I haven't done what I should have done. I, should, I need to change this up. I, I know I need to. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means I've got to change service times or figure out another way to, to do it. But I need to change it because I want you to hear in my heart it's my priority that you experience the Holy Spirit. It's not enough that we just teach about the Holy Spirit. I want you to experience the Holy Spirit. That's the difference here. Pray for us, okay? Just pray that we know how to do this and how to, how to see it happen. I, it means a lot of things, but I'm going to work with the staff over the next couple of weeks to figure this out. So uh, that's the first part of Acts. Here's the part we're going to uh, teach from today. This is verses 11 through 20. It's not in your notes. We'll read it up here, and then we'll come back and, uh, and, and teach on it. Uh, first two words. I'm going to count to three. And when I do, read the first two words with me. One, two, three. Okay, so before anything else, before, before we teach on anything else, before we look at the supernatural and miracles and all the different things that go on, I want you to see where this comes from. Any miracle that happens, can only come, it has to be God doing it right there. If, if any man does it, it's flesh. Anything else happens, it's height. God has to do it or we don't want it. Does that make sense right there? So God did it. So God did. Paul was an extraordinary person, but it was God who has the power. So God did extraordinary miracles. And I said this in the very first week, and I'm going to take one more chance at this. Uh, just read, look, look, extraordinary miracles. We'll say it one more time. Extraordinary miracle. I, I, I mean, by definition, isn't every miracle extraordinary? Yes. So why do you have to go to the limit of describing, using an adjective to describe extraordinary? I mean, are there some miracles that are higher than others? Are there some, are there some outpourings of the Holy Spirit that are just greater in, in their intensity or what God can do. And so I began to do a comparison sort of like between are there just like lesser miracles and greater miracles? I'll show you something pretty interesting, but let me finish reading it. God did extraordinary miracles uh, through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left. Yes or no, that's a pretty powerful statement right there. So I know today you'll see people on television, uh, evangelists in particular, who, who try to say, listen, I'm going to send you for a donation, uh, some, some water or a handkerchief or something that I had on my... Can I just say to you, trying to profit off the work of the Holy Spirit is wrong. We should never try to sell a gift of God. That's not what it's for. And now, now just because some people do that, though, doesn't mean we should ignore the fact that God can use those things. All right, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, look at the wording, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They don't say in the name of Jesus whom we know or the name of Jesus whom we serve. They would say in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. How many of you know this is going to be a bad day when this kind of thing? So one day... The evil spirit. Now, here, here by, 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 just by implication, here's what was going on. They saw what Paul was able to do through the power of God. 
and they realized that in the name of Jesus, there's power. And they thought there's money to be made by doing this. People are afflicted. We can use Jesus' name and then charge them money, and we'll make money off of this. And they must have had some limited success or they're not doing it. Does that make sense? So they probably were coming up against smaller demonic principalities, things that just the name of Jesus was enough to drive them out. But this is a higher one, a stronger one, a greater one. So as they come in to do what they've always done, uh-oh, uh, is it too late to become an insurance salesman? No, we're, we're still... So one day, the evil spirit answered them, look at this, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Boy, what kind of an answer do you give to that all of a sudden? <laughs> Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. Remember, there's seven against one. He gave, them, he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now look at the result. When this became known to Jews and Gentiles, both. When this became known to the Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. This doesn't mean like, this means the fear of God. The miraculous entered their life. They had never seen anything like it. It got their attention. Listen, today this is one of the reasons we need the miraculous because it solves the, the argument of is it true? Is it, and when you see something that's beyond belief, yes. you have to make a decision. Yep, yep. It just forces a decision. So they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. They're experiencing revival is what's going on. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, they came to 50,000 drachmas. A drachma, one drachma is a day's wage, so it's 50,000 days wages was what it cost when they burned all these books. Can you imagine? They had a lot invested in that through their spells and their incantations and their, their demonic into a fire. So when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power through all of Ephesus. All right, so looking at this scripture right here, let me give you four things when I read this that stand out in my mind that I hope just begin to continue to whet your appetite for the, the supernatural. The first one, let me talk about extraordinary miracles versus just ordinary miracles and draw a conclusion for you on something. So when we read Acts 19, God takes the time to have the Holy Spirit spell out extraordinary miracles. By definition, I think any... Look, if we had one person come up here and get healed, would you not all say that's extraordinary? If one person got out of a wheelchair, one deaf person, one blind person, would we not all say, that's extraordinary? Yes. So let me show you, though, how the Bible says that that's actually just an ordinary average miracle and not that big of a deal. That's the day we live in, man. We're so far below what normal is to the Bible that we consider even some little thing to be, well, that would be extraordinary. What would real extraordinary be like? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> in uh, Mark chapter 6, now I'll just, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't read the whole thing. I'll paraphrase the Jesus. Here, here's what's happening in Jesus' life. Uh, he, he's, he's in a boat going around the Sea of Galilee ministering to people. He's in an area called the Gadarenes, uh, a man who's demon-possessed comes running up to him. Uh, Jesus, why are you here? Why are you tormenting us? Jesus says, you know, be quiet. Come out of him. Uh, the guy says, hey, we're, we're legion. because the So he, he casts a thousand demons out of the guy. And the guy is put in his right mind. He's healed. He's, he, I mean, he, he becomes the president of the Jesus fan club, actually. Because the next time you see this guy, he leads his entire town out to meet Jesus. I mean, it's, it's a powerful story. 
And then Jesus gets in the boat, and he goes a little bit further, and he gets out of the boat, and so many people are there, he can't even move his arms. I mean, he's just crowded. And in that scenario, here's what happens. A woman who's been bleeding internally for 12 years sneaks up, touches the hem of his garment. The Bible says healing leaves Jesus, and he can perceive it. So he turns around, who touched me? Peter says, like everybody is. I mean, what do you think? And he finds the woman, hey, your faith has made you whole. And then he goes a little farther, and Jairus comes to him. He's the synagogue ruler and says, my daughter is dying. And while he's actually telling Jesus and trying to get Jesus to come and pray, they send another message and say, your daughter is dead. Jesus ends up going, and he raises this girl from the dead. So, I mean, he's had three really incredible miracles he's just coming from. He leaves there, and he's headed back into the hometown that he grew up in. The Bible says he comes into his hometown, and at first the people are excited. Jesus is here because they've heard of all the things that he's done. They want to see it. And then they become intellectually offended at him. They begin to go like this. Uh, Isn't this the boy who grew up here in this town with us? Don't his brothers and sisters live here with us? Isn't his mom right here with us? And then the Bible, listen to this, says that Jesus could do no great miracle there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And then it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. So the Bible records extraordinary miracles and then sort of like he could do no great miracle except heal a few. Again, if we had one people, person healed, we'd all go, that's extraordinary, right? I'm, I'm just comparing. We live in such a low ebb and flow of the Holy Spirit today. So here's the real point that I want to connect you to. On your fill in the blanks right there, if you want to catch them real quick. God's power, when linked with our faith, is how he moves. Okay, let me prove this to you. Listen, listen. Jesus is God fully on the earth. Do you agree with that? How many of you have ever said this? God can do anything. Do you believe that? He cannot. I'm not just playing with you. I want you to listen to me. In the realm of eternity, God can do anything. But in the realm of human history, God limits his power in conjunction with people who have faith. I want you to pay attention to this. Here's Jesus, God in the flesh, who can do anything, comes into his hometown and wants to do tremendous miracles. And the Bible says he couldn't do them, and he marveled because of their lack of faith. Their faith, or lack of it, kept Jesus from doing what he wanted to do in his hometown. If human need alone moved the hand of God, every person in Africa today would have more than they needed, yes or no? If human need was the only thing that made God move, then there wouldn't be a starving kid in the world today. Let me tell you how it actually works. God, all-powerful, partners with his people in faith. When we get, as it is in heaven, it should be on the earth. When we move out in faith, God meets us with his power. But if the church doesn't move in faith, God is actually limited in what he's able to do or does on the face of the earth. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Hey, look at me real quick. We're in the... I'm so tempted to come down there, but they, they, they tell me when you do that the dark, they, we can't get it on the, the, the camera and they're recording it. I want to come touch you right now, man. <laughs> this is so incredibly important. God is... Look, God is not sitting in heaven like, ah, you know, I'm tired. I, I did that back, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. I need a break. Here, God is like, I want to do this. Where are my people that want to do extraordinary things? The church is at its best when it moves out in faith 
and goes places where God meets us in that place with his power, if that makes any sense. I think we sit here and think, okay, if the power of God shows up, I'll go do things. No, go do things and the power of God will show up. So we, we were walking through, um, <laughs> through Costco not, not too long ago, and I seen a, a little boy in a wheelchair coming by, and I don't know if it was muscular dystrophy or MS or something, but it had him all just, he was just bound up in that chair, man. And he goes by, and I just am like, God, if you tell me to pray for him, I'll go pray for him. And then this is what I hear. It's like I've given you the whole Bible to tell you to go pray for people. What's it going to take for you to go do it? <laughs> so I go over in front of his mom. I'm like, is it, look, I, I, I just I want to pray for your son. Is that okay? That, that seems sort of weird, doesn't it? The mother was like, great. Go for it. I start praying for the kid. Listen, I, I don't have the report today to say the kid got up out of the wheelchair, but I know this. If we keep doing it at some point, listen, listen, we sit here, and the reason we don't see it is because we don't move. We have a God who's more than able, are his people wanting, willing. Does it move any of you? God, just to be his hands and his feet. Look, on earth as it is in heaven, when we get what it looks like there, that's our charge for what it's supposed to look like here. Extraordinary miracles. How about this? I, I, I don't mean this in a condemning way. It, it's totally rhetorical. You don't need to raise your hand. When's the last time in your prayer time you said to God, do extraordinary things with my hands? I bet nobody's praying for that prayer. We don't even think that way. Do extraordinary things with my hands. Do extraordinary things in my church. Do extraordinary things in my family. When ordinary things happen, we never go, eh. But when extraordinary things happen, how come this doesn't happen? Let's pray for it. Let me give you the second one real quick. Verses 13 and 16. Just simply know Jesus. Uh, it says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would all say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you, come out. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And I know about Paul, but who are you? Huh. The man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Listen, it's not enough to know about him. You've got to know him. Let me give you a transition right here to maybe that you could understand this. If you go to church here, if you've been around here any length of time, uh, even this morning, you hear me talk about my wife. I, I, I'll tell stories about her, different things that, that we've done together. So, so some of you, you think you know her because you've heard me tell a story about her. And some of you think you know her because maybe you ran into her out in the foyer. And some of you maybe go to ladies' ministry or, or maybe you've, you've become a friend of her and you think you know her. But let me draw a different conclusion for you. When I say I know her and you say you know her, who really knows her? I mean, the way I know her is way different than if you know a story or if you've just passed by her, or you've had some kind of like little meeting with, look, I've been married to the woman for 32 years. I've had five children with her. We have seven grandchildren together. She knows me at my worst, and I know her when she struggles. And guess what? We know each other intimately. Yes or no? So when I say I know her, and you say you know her, it's two different things. Yes or no? You know about her, but I know her, and this is not semantics. Some things can't be known only with your brain, Gordon. They have to be known deep inside of your heart. And this is true when it comes to Jesus. Many people know about him because I tell stories. Many people know about him because other people talk about him. 
Many people know about him because they're around the things of God. But I'm going to ask you right now, do you know him? Have you experienced his mercy and his grace? And do you hear his voice? And does he draw you to him in intimacy? The distance between here and here, way more than 13 or 16 inches, huh? God, everybody can get it here, but until you get it here, you don't really know. There's a difference between knowing him here intimately and knowing him here psychologically. Let, let me just give you the heartbreak of ambivalence real quick. The heartbreak of ambivalence. There's a scripture in the New Testament that every time I read it, it scares me. I don't know any other way to say it. It scares me. It's one of those ones I actually, when I come across it, when I'm studying, I like to read through it real quick. I like to get it out of my mind real fast. You ever got one of those? It goes like this. Jesus, when all of history is consummated, will sit as judge and jury over the nations and every person will give an account for their life to him. And there's a group of people that approach him and they don't approach him like they don't. In fact, they approach him like everything's good and this is what they say to him. Lord, Lord, we did many miracles in your name. We cast out demons. We tore down the works of the devil. We prophesied. And then Jesus looks at him and he says these words, and these, man, these are hurtful words. Depart from me because I don't know who you are. So I hate that scripture because I think to myself, Lord, Lord, I'm doing work. This is how I know everything's okay. I'm doing works for, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Everything's good. I'm praying and I'm moving, and I'm going, and I'm telling other people to do the same thing and give their all to God. And then here's this group of people on that day that were actually ambivalent. They thought they knew him, but they didn't know him. And that's what Jesus puts his finger on. Depart from me because I don't. The word know here is to know in the heart, not know in the head. I don't know you intimately. The heartbreak of ambivalence is that on that day, it'll be too late to change your mind. If you hear me right now and you blow me off, that's ambivalence. If you hear me now and you're just like, I'm okay, I don't need to worry about this, look at me right now. Do you know him? Are you experiencing him? Are you intimately acquainted with the Savior? Do you know about him or do you know him? Do you go to church and you're around the things of God or do you experience him in all of your life? Do you know him? Today's the day to make the decision because on that day you can't back up and you can't change your mind and you can't walk away. That'll be a day of heartbreak for some people. As opposed to another group who hears, well done, my good and faithful friend. Which one do you want to hear on that day? Hmm. I wonder how many people just think, it's all good, John. Do not be ambivalent with what I'm saying right now. At least check it out. At least look inside. At least ask yourself where it's at. Make your decision while you can. Let me give you the third one. I just titled it Equal and Opposite Effect, 17 and 18. It just says, when this became known, what happened with the seven sons of Sceva, when this became known to both Jew and Gentile living in Ephesus, the entire city is seized with fear, the fear of God. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And many of those who believed came and openly confessed their evil deeds. Powerful verse of scripture right there. It talks about an entire city 
changing its, its mind, changing its direction, changing its goal, changing what they're doing. Uh, to every miracle, there are two benefactors. If you don't remember anything else I said about miracles today, remember this. The reason we need miracles today is not just so the church can consume or be blessed by a miracle. We need miracles today because the world hangs in the balance. It was the miraculous that brought people into the knowledge of Christ. Yes or no? Can you see it right here? Paul, listen to this. Paul had taught in Ephesus for two full years and not had this happen. Now, maybe somebody goes, well, that was actually, that, that was the, the, the framework that they built first before this took place. I would submit to you, all it took was one day of the supernatural, something so big that the city could see it, that many people were swept into the kingdom instantly. Until it happens, we have an argument, and they have an argument, don't we? We think we're right, and people think they're, and here's what I know, when someone's deceived in their intellect, all the arguing in the world changes nothing. But the supernatural divides Boom. Just divides it. Just like, you're forced to either say yes or no to it. But you can't be ambivalent about it. Man, if there was any... T For those of you who sit out there and you think to yourself, it's really just about knowledge and discipleship and growing, I'm going to submit to you, you're missing half of what the scripture was about it's important for those things, but the supernatural is a necessary element to help people come into the kingdom today. God, how desperately the church needs the supernatural. How desperately our church needs the supernatural. <laughs> Miracles bring the reality of God near. All right, last one. I'm going to reveal something, take a chance. You can judge me, or maybe you can, uh, you can learn from the humility I'm going to use here. Uh, opened eyes. The supernatural can open your eyes. Can, can I just say, uh, if, if, if God's ever opened your eyes to anything, tell me that this is not true. Until that day happens, uh, nothing can be done. You, you can tell somebody a thousand times, but unless God opens their eyes. Do you agree with that statement? All right, so what I'm about to say can be taken two ways. You can go, oh, uh, I just need to do what you did and I'll be okay. No. This is something God opened my eyes to. But maybe the Holy Spirit can use it to open your eyes to something. So here's what happened in the scripture. Uh, a number of people who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So what happened to these people was that up until this day, they, had, they were mixed. They were compromised. They were watered down. They had all sorts of hooks in them. Look, it was okay for them up until that point to mess with the occult. It was okay with them up until that point to have all sorts of things. They, they had many beliefs and many ideas and many paths. But all of a sudden, man, they come into the kingdom and their eyes are open and they realize these are actually inroads that demonic forces are using to take us captive. We've got to get rid of them. This is not Nazi Germany and people are forced to burn books. These are people who are like, this stuff is crap. Yep, yep. Welcome to Jubilee. We've got to get rid of it right now. Yep. It's, 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 it's dreck. Burn this stuff. When your eyes are open to something, yeah, before that, before that, if anybody had said it to them, they went, well, what's wrong with it? But once God opens their eyes to it, God, this city, yes, the whole moral climate changes. Do you see that? 
The first time this happened for me, I was 15. Um, I need to say this right. I had, a, I had a good family. I had a mom. And my mom, I, I had a great mom in very difficult odds. She raised three sons. Uh, I, and I have a great mom. But I, I did not have a mom at that time whose eyes were open. So we were, we'd go to church at Christmas and Easter. We just did, our eyes weren't open. We didn't know. And our house was filled with all sorts of stuff. All right, so when I'm 15, I, I, don't, I don't think I was self-aware. I was, I was uh, what was I at 15? I was, uh, yeah, I was 15. That's what I was. Yeah, yeah. I, I was uh, self-absorbed. That's what I was at 15. But I had a night, literally, where I prayed. I've told this story. And I just said to God, I just, hey, why am I here? What do you want me to do? And I felt this need, find a Bible. And I went, I found our family Bible, and I opened it up. And I read Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the captive, to set it free those who are in bondage, to heal those who are broken, open blinded eyes, preach the good news about the Savior to people. And I felt the Lord tell me, I've called you. This happens to me when I'm 15 years old. The next two weeks were crazy weeks for me. It's like God began to open my eyes to all sorts of things. And this is what I did in the middle of the night. I got up and I realized, man, we've got all of these books all of these things on the occult in our house, uh, some of these things that are just degrading to win, they should not be in this house. So without asking permission, I get a garbage bag. And I go through my house, and I throw everything into it that I think should not be in our house. Right? My mom's back asleep. My brothers are asleep. And I throw it all in a big garbage bag. Listen to this. I try to go to the front door to take it out to the trash can, and right before I make it to the front door, it was like a hand pushed against my chest, and I could not move. And so I backed up and I tried to come at it again and it pushed back harder and I could not make it to the door. It freaked me out so bad I dropped the bag and I ran back to my room. It's 15. I have, there's nothing there to help me. I don't know anything. I know that the enemy does not want me to get rid of this stuff that he's got an inroad into my family with. That's what I know. So the next morning I have my mother help me. Help me get this out of here. My mother graciously, without without. She said, if that's what we need to do and you believe that, let's get rid of it. How gracious is that? So that started a thing in my life where uh, through the years, there have been times where, where if, if, you know, when something comes into your life, it doesn't come in as I'm trying to give the enemy an inroad into my life. So look at me for a moment. None of us ever go, I, I want to ruin my family. I want to mess my health up. I, I can't wait to be living in poverty, right? And yet, do we find ourselves dealing with things? Yes. Financially, you ever find yourself where stuff begins to go wrong and it's not limited to one or two things? There's like a string of stuff and it eats all that you have. You ever been there? So we just, we just like deal, what is that? What is it? So there's times, it's not, some of it's just life, some of it's a fallen world, some of it is... You have an enemy who hates you, and if you can find an inroad into your life that gives him authority to come in, some, here's how good he is. We open the door, and we don't even know we open the door to him. Right. And God has to open your eyes to something, and then you have to be bold about what you're going to do about it. It's the most recent time for me, 51, it's the age I am now. I'm in Kona, teaching at YWAM. We sleep on the base, little tiny rooms, no air conditioning, I mean, you know. It's just sweltering at nighttime. And the only thing that I've got there is an iPad. By the way, I'm not against an iPad. I teach with one. They're, they're great. But I had an iPad that was beside my bed 
And about one o'clock in the morning, this insatiable desire, this temptation to go on that iPad and look at stuff that I know is out of bounds, just begins to plague me. It wasn't like a thought. It was like this thing was on me where, I, I mean, I couldn't go to sleep. I'm tossing. I'm turning. I get out of bed. I go outside. I come back in. I'm, God, help me. Help me. You begin to, well, you know. So, you know, here's the problem with it. I could do it and get away with it for a while, but at some level, if it all, what would you think? It, it, it could ruin my ability to stand up here and teach, yes or no? What would it do to Jesus? What would it do to you? Amy was with me, sleeping in the next room. I got her up early in the morning, and I said, take this iPad, take it away. I can't have this thing. I can't trust myself with it right now. I'm giving it to you. Take it. God, 51 years old, what an immature person to have to do things like that, right? Nope. I cannot afford to have any inroad in my life where the devil can get a hold of me. You get to choose that right now. Now, some of you are going to go, well, I have an iPad. Do I need to get rid of it? No. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying to you. Look, that's not what I'm saying to you. Be more mature than that. Don't do that. But what is it that God would put his finger on that you can open your life to that suddenly that thing begins to grab your time, your attention? Here's what it does. It waters you down. It holds you down, it puts hooks in you, and the enemy can come and go in your life anytime that he wants to, and we sit there and watch it all wash away and wonder, where's the power of God? Come over here and say it. So I know it flies in the face of modernity. I know that some of you look at me like, like you, you don't do things like that. You get to choose how you live life. You get to choose where your priority is and how important this relationship with Christ is. For me, it's more important than anything else I have. Yes. It's the most important thing. It's, it's who I am. And if I lose that, I lose everything. Do you hear me? I lose everything. To lose Christ, to lose my place, I lose everything. So I know he's gracious. I know he forgives. I know he's merciful. But I can't afford to give up what he's done for me. Still glad you came today? Yes. Father, we just want to take a second to allow what the Holy Spirit wants to say to marinate in our hearts. Lord, if there's an area where simply the light would go on, our eyes would be open, and we realize the enemy's found some type of power in our life, some way he's watered us down. Some way he's put hooks in us. Some way he's laid us low. We find ourselves just simply stuck. We read about these great things that God did and they're so far away from us. And we're like, God, show up. I think that God would say, I'm here and I'm present and I'm now and I'm active. But he would want us to put our faith with it right now. What's God saying to you? Here's what I pray. If the Lord would be merciful to you today to open your eyes to something, I pray that you would have courage to do what's necessary. Courage.
I pray that the, the foundation on which you're building your life is built on a rock that you can build it up high and strong have the kind of life you want the kind that God dreams about for you I pray that you don't find every time a storm comes that your life just washes back down because your foundation is sand somehow, some way the enemy's found an inroad man, get it out of your life deal with it I pray that we would begin to hunger and thirst for him as never before. Thirst for his presence, that we'd be able to see the supernatural that is just a part of who he is in our midst. I pray that you'd see it in your families, in your dreams, your visions, with your children, your grandchildren. I thank the Lord for his mercy and his grace today that calls us to him and doesn't just leave us where we are. Hey, it's okay to be broken, but the Lord doesn't want to leave you there. He doesn't want to leave you there. His mercy, he wants to draw us to himself, build us up. We partner with him in that. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness in that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, church.